coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, back in the can for yet another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, handed to me on a silver platter by the one and only Cola from Blue Skies Magazine again, and we're going to dive right into it like I've been doing. So tell me, who the fuck are you, and what do you do? Hey, Dean, I'm, uh, I'm Mitch Steer, and I am a software engineer who also likes canopy piloting. A software engineer that likes jumping out of airplanes. So you're one of these people that can manage to live the dual life, I like I like to say. Uh, I think there might be more than a duel. I think there's, there's a few different lives going on, but yeah, definitely, uh, multiple personalities throughout the week. So that's a good thing that that's actually a pretty, uh, uh, nice fit for skydiving. I would think. Yeah. I, yeah it, it, it seems to work out. I know, uh, some people at the drop zone aren't, aren't really too familiar with what I do during the week and likewise a lot of people during the week aren't too familiar with what i do on the weekends so sure sure well definitely have a, I, I have would, a diverse friends i would imagine it's a it's a uh, that's a difficult uh, uh two worlds to mix because software engineering and skydiving there's not a whole lot of parallels in that um no not really not at all. <laughs> now before we uh before we get into the fun stuff what t- I should I should rephrase that before we get into the skydiving stuff. What type of software engineering do you do? I primarily automate engineers, and uh, I, I work a lot with uh, different CAD softwares and their APIs to kind of streamline different engineering you're, functions. You're positions. building you're building robots to take over the world. Um, basically, yeah. Okay, all right. So <laughs> you're you're what is it? Uh, uh, Skynet was that it? Yeah, right. uh, shying away from the Terminators. All right. Um, well, for now, a little anyway. too obvious. There, we're we're kind of flying under the radar with other stuff. <laughs> Fair enough, but <laughs> at this point in 2020, Terminators wouldn't shock me. At this point, no, it seems like the next uh, the next logical evolution after right. Murder Hornets. Right, Murder Hornets, um, UFOs, uh, and uh, meteors on the way, according to NASA. Yeah, Terminators are fine, of course. I completely forgot about the UFOs. I, I don't know what happened with that bomb drop. But. You know, I, I honestly haven't dug into trying to research that but because I keep using it as a joke, and I know it's actually true, but I've not bothered to do any research on it because I just lack the brain capacity with as weird as shit has already been. But, I mean, I am correct in that the the U.S. government, actual, the Pentagon, released information that they actually either have evidence of or pieces of UFOs. Is that it? I I read something along those lines, Fuck but me. I mean, it's unid- unidentified flying object. So I mean, maybe it was Russian, maybe it was Martians. I don't I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, dude, that's just bizarre. I, well, whatever, whatever. All right, let's get on to the fun stuff. So, um, you're uh, uh, an active skydiver, and uh, I know you're big into canopy piloting stuff. But let's step it all the way back to the beginning. And were you into any other extreme sports before you started jumping out of airplanes, or was that your first foray? Uh, not really extreme sports. Um, I grew up at the racetrack, grew up around cars, going fast. Um, always drove like a reckless teenager. Hmm. Uh, no, I, I think no different than any other. 18-year-old with a with a manual transmission. Sure. Um, got into bikes and uh, 
wound up uh, coming off of one at triple digits and kind of lost my elbow. I still haven't found it. So <laughs> I just, oh, I, got, got kind of bits and pieces in the arm, kind of all hodgepodge together and it moves a little bit and it's, it's it's functional enough to go skydiving but that was kind of the 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 push to get away from motorcycles and kind of take a step back from anything too extreme like motorcycles yeah you know it's kind of funny because you know people that aren't involved in skydiving assume that you know being riding a motorcycle around would be safer than jumping out of airplanes but i've got many many broken bones to attest to the fact that bikes are fucking dangerous yeah, I, I don't know. I, I might go back and I might get another one on the street again at some point. But at least for right now, I don't. I know I don't have the self control to keep it under, at least under one fifty. Jesus um, Christ! Well, I, so I got to know if you came off on triple digits. What? How much detail can you give me in the accident? What the fuck happened? Um, I was leading a ride. Had about ten guys with me. All of us riding like idiots all the time. Um, and hit a, a backcountry road, uh, kind of up near my hometown, uh, a little bit north in Michigan, and knew the road really well. Uh, first corner was a nice, long, sweeping knee dragger. Second corner was a nice, long, sweeping knee dragger the opposite direction. Um, come around the corner to about halfway through it, found a, one car passing another car, coming head on at me, so I ditched it and uh, went off towards the side of the road. Got in the gravel, wound up in some guy's front lawn. Uh, long and short, coming up on his driveway, he's got uh, had berms like coming up to the sides of his driveway. Oh, so I kind of kind of got up on my toes a little bit. Was like, all right, well, I'm not slowing down on grass, so hmm. um, we'll, we'll give it a little pop, and I'll just ditch the bike over the driveway, tuck and roll. It's gonna suck, but hey, there's I'll avoid the tree line. So right, uh, coming up on the berm to the driveway, a uh, guy just watered his lawn. I ended up low siding, elbow first, straight into the driveway, and uh, yeah, by the time I got to the hospital, they basically pumped me full of drugs, and wow. I don't remember the next two weeks. So fucking hell, I'm I'm just getting my pit. The picture I have in my head is that uh, that GP accident that just happened. I want to say like a week ago, with the two bikes shooting across the gravel and just disintegrating. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm picturing. Holy shit! Yeah. Yeah, the bike cartwheeled probably about 200 yards into a tree line. Oh, fucking hell, man. That's a hell of a wreck. I mean, I've had a bunch of wrecks, but they were all relatively low speed. I think the fastest I ever hit the ground was going maybe 50, which... I, I came out of this one pretty good. I mean, like I said, I lost my elbow. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I just hit elbow first into the berm, and whatever blew out the end of my arm uh, kind of stayed there in the dirt while I went to the hospital. Wow. Um but uh, that was really the extent of it. That uh, little bump on the head, it's some pretty good road rash on my back. But by the time I came out of the hospital and off the meds and was coherent again, a lot of that was all healed up. So wow. I really didn't have to deal with much of that end of it. Were you in full gear when you went down? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so funny story. I was at a... Uh, I was at a music festival slash rave the night before oh. up late. Um, it was not necessarily a hundred percent there in the morning and, uh, some guys wanted to go for a ride. So I got all geared up and I'm waiting in my driveway and, uh, they're going to swing by my house and, um, they got running late. So I went inside, got something to drink, took my, took my jacket off, took my pants off, um, kind of changed back into street clothes 
and um, they showed up and were ready to go. And I said, eh, screw it. I'll just jump on the bike. Oh. So I was in like, ripped up jeans, tennis shoes, and like a long sleeve t-shirt. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. It- so it's like the one time I've ever ridden a bike without uh, without at least a jacket on. It's so. just, it's always when it's like that, isn't it? The the worst injury yeah. I ever had in a motorcycle accident, I was living in Las Vegas and literally hopping on the bike to run downtown to see my then girlfriend uh, and in a rush. And I had on jeans and a, and a fucking sweater vest. And a little old lady from Pasadena pulled out in front of me and it was either slam into the side of the car or lay it down. And I ended up shattering my wrist. Low speed, but I tumbled. It didn't slide and that was it. But again, no gear, no nothing. Not that, uh, not that leathers would have kept me from doing that. But damn. So- I, I like to think the leathers wouldn't help. I mean, I might have still had parts of the bone, but I mean, they <laughs> fucking hell. They they found other bone to use in my hips and just kind of chiseled that out. So all right, so so you started it getting worked. the massive work on you before you ever started jumping. Yeah, jumping's been pretty pretty low injury. I think the worst I did was. Um, Oh, I had an old, uh, was it a Spectre 120? Hmm. And I was probably, I probably weighed about 220 pounds. And this was early on in my jump career. Um, came down and uh, just coming in for a landing, straight leg, and just jammed my heel right into the dirt. <sighs> and basically just blew out my heel for a whole season. So that was when I learned to start just sliding and everything. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> that's, a, that's a hard lesson learned, but it's one I think a fuckload of us have absolutely learned. I sure did. Now, how did you get started in skydiving? What was the initial uh, um, draw? So, uh, I, I was just bored, uh, bored single, and had a, one buddy of mine who uh, I'd known for quite a few years. We had talked about going skydiving, and then he just randomly calls me up one day, and he's like, "Hey, it's a uh, you know, it's Fourth of July." Um, I was sitting at home, wasn't doing anything, and uh, he calls me up, and he's like, "Hey, there's this you know, this skydiving place." Um, kind of by your house. They've got an event. Uh, it's Save the Tatas. <laughs> it was a uh, it, every Fourth of July they did this big event where they basically just donated everything to breast cancer. Mm. But I was like, all right, well, I like boobs and I want to go skydiving. So this sounds like yeah, this sounds like the perfect time to go. So I call them up and of course they're booked up. So I said, all right, well, next best option. Um, called up uh just googled you know skydiving places by me Mm. and um found a place skydive allegan they had you know they were like all right we'll squeeze you in you know we're pretty book solid but we'll we'll squeeze you in so i went down there um made a tandem with my buddy and uh my very first tandem the the tandem instructor um great guy good friend now but we uh we get out of the Cessna, everything's great, skydive goes great, and then he downwinds me on a set 400 at about a 10, about a 10 mile an hour downwind. <laughs> and we just go ripping across the landing area, just sliding on our ass. We end up sideways, just tumbling in this big pile, and I'm like, that's that's the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> so immediately I go to the ATM. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, I need to do this again. <laughs> So uh, the uh, the guy that owns the place now, um, he's one that uh, took me up on my second tandem, and uh, we go up. Free falls great. He's explaining a little bit more. I get to pull. I've got the altimeter, the whole nine yards, and uh, they're they're going for retention at this point. Sure. And uh, 
so we land and it's this nice landing and I don't remember if we stood up or it was just a nice gentle sit down on the butt, but it was as far as set 400 tandems go, it was like the perfect landing. Mm. Um, so we get down, he's excited. You know, how was that? And I said, well, it was all right, but the first one was a lot more fun. I think <laughs> I need to do this by myself next time. <laughs> and just the look of, the look of, wait, what, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> on this guy's face. So, oh, so man. Immediate, it, immediately early on in the skydiving career, it was, uh, an introduction, introduction to, sketchy is fun (laughs) yeah 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 i mean it sounds to me like uh, if you're very first ever landing you're doing a dirty downwind and i mean you guys were not lightweight if you're out the door at 210 i mean 210 or 220 you were coming in fast so that's a fast fucking landing yep (laughs) (laughs) see that would do one of two things to people as far as i can tell it would either freak them out and they would never want to go fast on a canopy or that's all they would want to do Apparently the speed's what you uh, wanted. I mean, the speed was fun, but it was, um, I, I don't know. I, I think like anybody else, the, the first handful of jumps, it's just the, it is the adrenaline. Sure. You haven't lost that, that adrenaline yet. Um, so I think that was a lot of it. Nice. So went to, uh, went to the ATM, came back, put a, paid for my first jump course and, that was all the money that I had saved up to buy a boat. So I learned I was packing tandems full time before I even went through the first jump course to pay for the rest of it. Wow. Wow. Now, uh, what year was this? Um, actually one second. I think I have a logbook here in front of me. I don't remember as bad as that is. No, no. Believe me. I, I completely understand. Uh, 2012. Okay. Okay. And this was at what drop zone? Skydive Allegan in Michigan. Very cool. Little, Cess- little Cessna drop zone in West Michigan. So you got through your AFF relatively quickly. Uh, I ended up doing IAD. Oh, okay. All right. So yep. did did IAD with a guy there, Travis Johnson. Big, he's a uh, pretty active in crew nowadays, but um, definitely a very thorough instructor. A lot safer than a. <laughs> that's awesome though i I love that now um you you go through that course now are you working as a software engineer at this time when you're learning how to jump or are you just out of school or um so at this time i i was kind of bouncing around jobs um i uh was working at um i was doing construction for a while and had just started working in um as a welder or a fabricator at a, at a machine shop uh, about the time I started skydiving. So kind of worked my way up from there, started programming, uh, nesting and doing stuff with the, the machines that they had at that shop. And that kind of led into uh, some of the software development stuff that I'm doing now. That's so, very cool. Now, did you find either then or now that uh, having the whole real life as well as the skydiving life, do they interfere? I mean, because especially if you enjoy hanging out and the and the parties and the events and stuff like that, I would imagine that can get kind of kind of a bit sketchy with real work. So, as a as a welder, it wasn't bad. Um, at the time, I was doing uh, four ten hour days, so I had uh, Fridays off. Um, and 
also did not have custody of my kids at the time. So I was kind of, uh, you know, every other weekend was pretty much game on. Mm. I, I'd show up at the drop zone, sleep on the drop zone couch, sure. uh, pack, pack all weekend, jump all weekend, party all weekend. And then um, a lot of Sunday nights, I would actually just stay at the drop zone and then uh, just get up super early and go straight into work, put my welding helmet on and just try not to make eye contact with anybody. <laughs> yep, I can understand. So it, it worked out pretty good when I was working in a shop. Um, a little bit different atmosphere than than the office or any kind of management that happened between now and then. Sure, I would imagine. Well, and you said you uh, didn't have custody. You have how many kids? Uh, two daughters. Oh uh, goodness, you got your hands full. Yeah. Yep, thirteen and fourteen. Oh so wow, hands are really full. <laughs> oh, holy shit! <laughs> now, so. all right. So, and you have custody of them now. Yep. So yep, that happened years ago. Were you still together with your ex when you started skydiving? Um, negative. Okay. So, negative. so there wasn't a, uh, an issue with that. Cause one of the big things that I had an issue with, with my ex and my daughter was, uh, skydiving started when I was with her. Uh, so she never understood why I couldn't just walk away from it. Gotcha. Yeah. Nope. I, I started jumping after the, after the kids were born long after the ex and I had split. Um, and, uh, the, the kids kind of drew up at, grew up at the drop zone with all their weird uncles. Nice. Nice. And, um, what? No, everything's everything was pretty decent. Uh, I generally just you know weekends I've got the kids, we'd be back at the camper or um, the hangar, depending on the year, kind of depending on the the situation. Sure. But we we just crash out a little bit early and kind of avoid the party stuff. But sure. Now what do, what do uh, both your daughters think of dad being a skydiver and going out and doing this crazy shit? They think it's normal. I I don't think they. They quite get it yet. And that, that's cool <laughs> though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I no, mean, mine's I the same way for as long as uh, uh, her entire life. I've just been, you know, dad jumps out of airplanes or flies the planes that people are jumping out of. So, yeah, it's definitely uh, my youngest has come home with a couple of times and said, you know, I was talking to a friend and they don't believe me or they don't understand when I tell them my dad jumps out of airplanes. Right. Um, they, they think that that's crazy. And I think it's, I, I don't think it's something that they bring up because I think it leads to a lot more questions sure. and conversations. So I think they kind of just felt well, my dad just does this and I don't right. talk about it a lot. Now are, are either of them leaning towards wanting to jump when they're old enough? I have one, one, that you got to make sure you have a hold of her um, if you take her up on a plane because she'll try to get out. And I've got another one that uh, she'll turn sideways and hold the railing on an escalator while it's going up. So you're safe with one? I'm safe with one. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it to the listeners to determine which one you're safe with. Yeah. So, now... So I, I know how I felt. Um, uh, my daughter was not with me full time when she was at that age when I was working on the drop zones. Uh, so she got to come to the drop zones, but not nearly as regularly as your daughters. But that's at a, a kind of a cool age because uh, at 13, 14 years old, they're still very much kids. Um, but have you already thought about the future when they're 17, 18 years old and, and still stopping by the drop zone? Because... My old thing was people would ask me, will you let your daughter jump if she wants to? And my answer was always absolutely as long as she doesn't have to go to a fucking drop zone to do it. 
<laughs> keep her away from all the shit that I used to think was fun, but now when it's my daughter, I don't think so. <laughs> have you have you broached that mentally yet? I yes yes and no yes and no. <laughs> they've, they've they've seen enough, and I think understand enough at this point to know that boys are dumb. Yes. Um, so. Yes. In, in that regard, I, I don't mind them showing up. I think um, at least the drop zones that I'm at now are fairly tame, at least when I'm there. I, I don't really hang out much sure. after hours these days. It's uh, I just well, don't I, think I, I – I just can't party like I used to. So. Oh, no, no, neither can I, and no desire to as well. Um, back then, though, I used to make sure uh, I put the fear of God into anybody that I could uh, that my daughter was coming to the drop zone, and she is 100% off limits no matter what. <laughs> so uh, I made that very clear. So yeah, now, I, being 14, I haven't had quite had to make that clear yet, but I think yet. probably – uh, probably two, two or three more years will make that very clear. Yeah, so. yeah, that's when that kind of stuff starts coming. So now, in regard to skydiving, I know in talking to Cola, she said your big thing these days is a lot of canopy stuff. Yep, been working a lot of, a lot what of canopy you do that? stuff. Um, I saw somebody post a picture of XRW, and I was like, man, that, that looks uh, – like a lofty goal but it also looks like a lot of fun so let's start working towards it um decided that the wingsuit side of it was going to be quicker cheaper to get into um, so rather than going through all the the canopy progression and the downsizing and all the jumps that you need to kind of get into it that side um i had it in my head that the wingsuit way was going to be the way to go um Made two wingsuit jumps. Both of them were like head down on my back deployments. They just went to shit. Um, I don't know if that had something to do with an arm that doesn't straighten all the way out or maybe right. I just sucked flying wingsuits. But uh, that kind of immediately put a kibosh on the on the wingsuits. I said, well, it looks like I'll downsize. <laughs> so so I started, uh, started rapidly downsizing and decided for my 300th jump that I wanted to do XRW. Um, so I got a hold, I uh, got a hold of, uh, mind you at this point I'm on, uh, uh, I was under a, uh, a 70 JVX. I was probably 220 pounds before gear. So I was about 3.2, Jesus. um, and had probably 50, 60 jumps on that canopy at this point. Um, got a hold of, uh, I was talking about doing XRW, had some sketchy friends at the drop zone that were more than down to try it. No idea what we're doing. Right. Um, so I finally get a hold of uh, uh, another buddy tells me, hey, you should talk to a friend of mine. Got a hold of uh, Scott Lazarus. And he was like, yeah, well, you know, we'll we'll teach you how to do all this stuff. You know, at the time, um, he was like the guy for XRW. Um, still is definitely 100% one of the top guys if, you, if you've got questions. Mm. But at the time, he was like the guy to talk to. So a buddy of mine made the introduction and I'm talking to Scott and he's like, yeah, you know, this is kind of how you do the exit, you know, this and that. And we get to talking and, um, we get to talking a little bit more. I try what he says and I don't tell him what jump numbers I've got. Not right. very close. Just avoid that conversation altogether. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I kind of, uh, I'm, I'm talking to him and, uh, 
I, I try to do XRW on the JVX. It's just too flat. I'm not loading it. I don't know how to fly a canopy. I don't know how to fly my body. So it just doesn't work. You know, I mm. never, even, I never even see the wingsuit. Um, so I talked to Laz a little bit more. He's like, yeah, um, you know, I've got this, this canopy that you can borrow. And I see you at this boogie, uh, this local boogie here that he was going to be at. And I'm like, well, before you loan me a canopy, there's something you should know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, he's basically, uh, immediately the offer for the canopy was off the table and he talks of XRW off the table. And, um, uh, he had me switch drop zones, come to the drop zone that he was at and offered, um, free coaching as much as I wanted. Oh, wow. With, with the, with the caveat that I wasn't even allowed to have this canopy that I was flying in my closet. I needed to straight up sell it. And, uh, so, Sold my canopy, upsized, did a bunch of coaching with Laz, got to the point where we were thinking about XRW again. Um, this was a few years later. Uh, get to the point where, all right, you know, we're, we're approaching that time where we're going to start thinking about XRW again. Um, at the time, he's putting on Blacklist. Uh, it was a, an invite-only event where they were doing some uh, some big formations with XRW and crew mm. canopy, kind of mixing everything together. Um, so I got an invite to that. I was like, all right, you know, I'll come down there. I'll, I'll watch you guys do this. Maybe I'll fly some, some outside video type stuff or, sure. you know, fly relative, but, you know, start looking at the XRW stuff and get involved with that a little bit closer before yeah. I make another attempt at it. So I get down there and by the time I got down there, his canopy roster had gone through the roof. Um, he had, he had anybody and everybody that he could want down there for this. So, I show up and he's like, well, I don't have a canopy you can borrow anymore. Um, you know, the canopy stuff kind of, kind of filled up sure. and, uh, but Ian Drennan's running hop and flock. Um, so he introduced me to Ian Drennan while we were down in, uh, Sebastian. Um, and that, that was kind of the start on the flocking and just kind of fell in love with it from there. Very so, cool. It was kind of this weird twist of, you know, I, I got in this for XRW, met the right people at the right time, um, got extremely lucky with uh, being able to find coaching and somebody to kind of get me off of the smaller is better sure. path. Well, it and, sounds uh, to me like Laz was your uh, kind of your guardian angel. Oh, that guy definitely saved my femurs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man. I mean, it's, you know, it's... There's, and I've talked to a lot of people about it, and a lot of people that have downsized uh, pretty quickly that that got away with it and learned lessons along the way that didn't, you know, cost them time in the hospital. Uh, but uh, it sounds to me like as soon as he realized where you were, he's like, "Holy fuck! I'm going to give this kid whatever he needs to keep him from doing what he wants." Yep, yep. And I know, I know, it was kind of a kind of a battle internally with him because it's all right. Do I help this kid and associate with this kid, or do I just you know wipe my hands of it and walk away? See, and that's the thing though is that's the coolest thing I've heard in a long time though is to do what he did is what the sport needs to be about, and for the most part is. I mean, obviously there's exceptions, uh, but it's so cool to hear that somebody's going to go out of their way to keep somebody from you know you know, putting themselves in the corner, um, without really having a clue. Uh, so that's awesome. Absolutely. So, so no, the, the flocking just kind of went from there. I mean, you did a couple of hopping flocks, um, tried to do a bunch of flocks with guys back here at home, um, kind of taking all the safety stuff that, that Drennan was preaching, you know, the, the emergency procedures, the no zones, all that stuff. So, so now trying to do everything. 
Walk me through that kind of stuff because I don't know a whole lot about flying flocks. So you were saying emergency procedures and and what no go zones. Yeah, you, you've kind of got the same no fly zones. You don't want to burble each other under canopy. Obviously, it's sure. um you you learn really quick uh, when you watch some of the malfunctions or the canopy collapses or the burbles. You you learn really quick that this is high speed, even mm. though a lot of the pictures and the videos, everything looks really slow, safe, and uh, and relative. The second something goes wrong, you figure out that it is high speed. You are going to hit a, a 60 mile an hour brick wall mm. if your canopy collapses. Um, yeah, you know I've got great video of a buddy of mine, <clears throat> Junior Ludwig. Um, we were doing a, a photo shoot and they were doing XRW uh, and a, a large group and the camera flyer um, was trailing the entire thing and above and wanted me uh, to fly past at a decent distance and a little bit below. And I remember mentioning to the camera flyer, I'm like, I don't know that you want me right there. I would think you'd want me like on level as I come past. So there's no risk of a burble. And he's like, no, I need you right here. And so they briefed it that that's where I would fly past and at a decent distance, but a twin otters wake sticks around for quite some time. Uh, as poor junior found out when he flew through it while doing XRW and the canopy just disappeared behind him and he was spinning out of control and Oh man, I mean, Holy shit. So I can imagine it's gotta be sketchy. Yep, and that's that's definitely. I've been fortunate enough not to have to witness any of that, um, <laughs> but there's definitely enough videos out there. A lot of unreleased videos, um, sure, and uh, a lot of stuff that definitely gets brought up and shown in kind of the the first flock courses to kind of really drill it into some of these guys' heads that you know some of these guys that might be looking to do their first flock or get into it. Um, you really want to drill it into their heads that, you know, this is high speed and you are going to get hurt if you, if you do something wrong. Sure. Uh, you well, know, I'm... not only, not only for the days that you're there, but now you're leaving the seed corn at these different drop zones and, you know, it, even, even if they, it, they're probably not going to do everything to a T that you've taught them, you know, best you can really hope for is 90%. Sure. I think so. Well, and I would so, imagine it's the same thing that happens probably to an even larger degree with like all the YouTube videos people see and it looks badass on the video. And so they want to go out and try these things that they saw on YouTube because uh, it looks amazing, but they don't realize that was like the 18th try and 16 of them went to complete shit. Um, and they, they they don't realize just all the hard work that went into it. Well, same with you guys. If you're being super careful and briefing all that stuff, and you've got newbies watching it, they're gonna <laughs> people are gonna try shit. Yep. Yeah, I had uh, I probably got about 45 minutes worth of messages back and forth with two different people this morning alone, just kind of reaching out, asking questions, and you know, answering their questions, but then also kind of peppering them with a bunch of a uh, bunch of the safety stuff that they need to be thinking about as well. Sure. Well, I mean, it's that tough love kind of thing, right? I, I would imagine it's a lot like uh, when you go through your initial tandem instructor rating and you have to watch the old side spin video, which is a horrifying video to watch because I think three or four of the videos that they show, those people don't survive. You know, and you, oh, you wow. watch- yeah. Oh, yeah. You watch the side spin videos and it's okay. And here's where the exit and this is what went wrong. And here's where the side spin starts. And 
here's where it's out of control and here's where the camera guy had to pull because the tandem's gone. Yeah, like crazy. And yeah, it just... you're making me you're making me have even less interest in ever getting a tandem. <laughs> <laughs> now, all that being said, I I fought it tooth and nail. I did not want to be a tandem instructor, and yet my favorite way to skydive is taking tandems. I love it. Absolutely. Oh, wow. I absolutely loved it. Um, but it's a whole different beast. It's a whole different beast. For people that say that uh, the, you know, jumpers that say that skydiving doesn't really get their adrenaline going or make them nervous, I tell them, get your fucking tandem ready. Because <laughs> that'll, yeah. that'll spice it up. Oh, man. Yeah. Because you got, you know, 60 pounds of gear on your back and 200 pounds of stupid on your chest that's going to do everything they can to kill you. And it's your job to not only keep them alive, but make sure they have fun. So, yeah, it's intense. <laughs> so, if you're ever looking for a rush, man, get your tandem ready. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, the, the gal I'm dating, uh, girlfriend, she's a tandem instructor, and she had a, her heart was pumping pretty good this weekend. She had a side spin, some sort of spin, flat spin or a side spin. I don't, sure. I don't remember. Man. Um, but yeah, she, she came down a little bit, uh, a little bit amped. Sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I've had more than my fair share of tandems where um, it was debatable who was in control. <laughs> you know, I'd get the drogue out, but, you know, I'm I'm 5'9", so you put a six-foot, four-inch tall guy in front of me with long arms and he's freaking out or, you know, just moving all over the place. There's not a whole lot I'm going to do to keep that tandem in a straight line. I'll work my ass off trying, but, I mean, it can be difficult. So I'd imagine. I mean, some of them get pretty damn sporty. Now, how long has she been doing tandems? Um, she's been doing tandems. I want to say, you know, I'm not even really sure. Okay, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I I know she's I know she's got about 500 tandems. She's got about 500 single instructor AFFs. Um, she was at SDC for a number of years as well. Oh, very cool. Uh, she's going for Coach E, her AFFIE. Um. She tunnel instructor. She's a, she's a way more badass guy ever than I do. Than That's I, awesome. I just I, I just flock. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. But but hey, but there's a hell of a lot to be said for that. And I'll tell you what, it's super cool too to hear about all the female tandem instructors that are out there now. Because when I started doing tandems, I don't think I knew of maybe one or two female tandem instructors, and now they're everywhere and they're fucking good. It's a it's a finesse that guys don't bring to it. You know, we try and muscle our way through most things, and they finesse their way through it, which is a much easier, better way to do it. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's, yeah, they they definitely bring that to the table in a number of things. Um, we're climbers too, and she's always yelling at me to climb like a girl. I'll try and just <laughs> muscle my way through stuff, and never uh, works, does it? It never works out. Not not even close to as smooth as she does it. So well, and you said you weigh how much? Uh, now I'm down to about 170. Okay. So, uh, I think at my lightest, I was climbing at about 180 or so. And that's a lot of fucking weight to haul up the rock. Yeah. It really is. I mean, you just, we're at a disadvantage no matter what. And for overhanging stuff for me gets really difficult because of carrying all that weight. I can only do it for so long. The extent of my overhang or, or, uh, or roof climbing is I'm, I'm on the, uh, the other end of the boy. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. That's, that's her realm, not mine. <laughs> I mean, climbing again is a lot like skydiving. Knowing your limitation is the best damn thing you can know. It really is. 
yeah, for sure. So now I would assume that you, like everybody else, had a whole bunch of events and plans for the summer that uh, took a big shit with uh, COVID. I I did and I didn't. Um, I climbing was really the only thing that kind of uh, got kicked in the nuts for me. Hmm. Um, just because they closed down all the gyms, they closed down all the crags. Um, so there's just nothing climbing related unless you had something in your basement. Right. As far as skydiving goes, I mean, I was looking at, you know, independence boogie at CSC, um, uh, Carolina fest, which I didn't end up going to, um, but, you know, CSC has still been great. I mean, it's a, it's a three hour drive, made it out there a few times this year. That's um, a nice operation out there in Rochelle though. Yeah, no, Doug's been great. Um, Mike Clash has been out there every Friday. Um, oh, nice. They've got a really group of guys doing uh, flocking Fridays out there. Nice. Um, so they've been just absolutely hammering flocking all day Friday, every Friday. And, oh. uh, uh, Mike's, Mike's, I mean, I'm out there every chance I get, but so that's only been a few times this year where, you know, Clash has just been out there with those guys working with them nonstop, and they're getting... I think they're going to bring a lot to the table at some of the national uh, national events and stuff like that. If if we can ever get all of them to travel together, sure. Now, what uh, I don't know too much about the, those type of events. Are there flocking events now? Yep. Uh, so Ian Drennan has been doing hop and flock for a while now, um, which I think now that's uh, that's an invite only. Uh, you pretty much need a golden ticket from somebody who's been to one. Um, so they're looking at doing kind of kind of bigger projects and okay. less of the the introduction and more of the advanced stuff. Hmm. Um, Matt Leonard's been doing the flock and flow. Um, and I think that's a, I think that's a vetted paid event. Um, wow. so you're paying for your, well, not paid, uh, paid as in you're paying to be yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's vetted. Um, and because of that, I think they're able to do some more of the advanced, advanced stuff too. Um, I believe he does do some some introduction to flocking stuff and stuff like that as well. But um, last weekend was Shred Fest in Cleveland. Uh, that's Laz's new one. Um, instead of, uh, I don't think he's doing Blacklist this year, um, but he did Shred Fest, which was pretty much an open invite. Um, so we kind of, it was just whoever showed up. Uh, so I had Friday, I did a lot of the introduction for the newer guys. Saturday, we worked on um, a pretty ambitious project where we ended up having 14 wingsuits fly through, fly head-on through uh, eight canopy pilots, and then we had one canopy video guy in there as well. Oh, wow. So I, I don't know if there's a world record for that. I don't think there's a, a class or a, uh, anybody keeping track of it, but it's as far as anybody knows, I think that's the biggest uh, formation sure. of its kind as far as multiple disciplines intersecting. So, Well, I mean, this is all still uh, – you guys are kind of on the leading edge because this is all still really new. I mean, we're only talking about how many years that the canopies have been able to match up with the wingsuits in such a way that they can do these things. Yeah, there's uh... – I mean, the head-on stuff, you don't really need to match speeds with them too right. bad. But some of the XRW stuff that we're, we're looking at and we're planning on um, definitely was waiting on the canopy mm. uh, the canopy technology to get where it's at today. Well, it, I think even 
now we're we're just we're just on the beginning of it i think oh yeah so i mean it still blows me away um being an old dog watching a wingsuiter basically in free fall flying with someone under a canopy going at stupid speeds <laughs> it's it blows me away because a wingsuit uh, can stick with me in, depending on the airplane I'm flying, can stick with the airplane, and they can go fly with a parachute, and that parachute can go fast enough to do that. That's just insane. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely come a long way. I mean, I remember uh, I was talking to Vladdy Pisa about some of the stuff that he used to do, and you know, having to have basically ratchet straps on a velocity to just yank the fronts down and. <laughs> Right. You know, just everybody flying outside of their performance windows and uh, just a huge mess. And now to have to be able to come along and all right, well, I, you know, I get this canopy, I put on 10 pounds of lead and I, I get really big and wear some draggy pants. And wow, you know, you, you can go out and fly with some, some wingsuiters. I mean, there's obviously a lot more to it than that. Sure. But, now, what's your, uh, what's your canopy of choice for this kind of stuff? For flocking, yeah. I've been extremely happy with the Werewolf, uh, the Fluid Wings Werewolf. Um, I got, I don't have a ton of experience flying different canopies. Okay. Um, I don't necessarily want to want to put down one or the other. Um, I know a lot of different people are making a lot of different canopies work for the way that they fly sure. and what they're able to do with them. Um, but for me, I found the Werewolf has a substantial amount of range either uh, up or down or forward or back so I, i'm able to match speeds with uh, with other canopies and other canopy pilots relatively well i think the the most extreme difference i've done so far um i was under a werewolf 71 at 2.7 wing loading 2.7 or 2.8 and I was flocking with a Gangster 84 that was loaded at 1.8. Wow. <laughs> so I, just an absolute huge amount of range in that canopy. Um, it's just worked well for what I'm doing. Which is super cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I suppose the thing with that is you're right in that I personally I think all the manufacturers are putting out amazing stuff these days it just depends on which one you prefer which one you can fly the best which one you feel out the best I would imagine but there's so many different canopies now I mean yeah I still fly velocity but I'm not trying to fly flocking and I'm certainly not trying to do XRW so I, I mean there was there was a comp velo in our flock last weekend it's, <laughs> it's absolutely doable so that's awesome <laughs> um so I mean you, you can really do it with any canopy you want. It's just, you know, the further apart the canopies are, the more you need to pay attention to wing loading and kind of how you're flying your body as well. Sure. Now, what is it you see uh, down the road? Um, do you ha do you guys have any goals, any specific types of formations or new shit that you're working on or daydreaming about? Um, there, There's a couple of projects that are being talked about right now um, that are kind of mixing in more uh different um more disciplines you know instead of just mixing in high performance canopies and wingsuits or looking at adding some other stuff um so there will definitely be a couple of projects i think within the next within the next year um that are, are really going to blow some people's minds that are kind of being talked about in back corners right now awesome 
So Well, it's kind of funny because uh, all the stuff that's happening now was all the shit that was being whispered about a few years back, and now it's everywhere. Absolutely. Right, right now, I think the main focus for flocking is just kind of getting everyone, bring it more mainstream so we've got more people practicing it. Um, what I'm noticing is the biggest problem is just consistency mm-hmm. and having enough talent pool to pull from for some of these uh, invite-only events. Um, the big focus is just kind of plant as much seed corn in as many different drop zones as you can and, and let it grow. Sure. So you've got a good base of pilots to pick from. You sure. know, it, 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 there's a lot of swoopers all over. Um but you take a swooper and you put them into a uh, an XRW or a flocking environment, and it's kind of it's kind of neat, and you have to work with them a little bit when you see them get humbled by how um, difficult it actually is to fly quiet when you're relative and close to somebody else. So it's. It, I mean, back in my day, it was um, like you'd watch the PD team uh, would go out and uh, they'd be flying in formation before they'd come and do their formation swoops and stuff. But that was about the end of it. And it wasn't super tight formations. It was relatively loose uh, or it was just one following the next. Uh, But the stuff that I see nowadays that that guys like you are doing is just it's stunning, especially, you know, in the video and, and photography is amazing. Oh, yeah, it definitely makes for some good visuals. And um, like, like I said, the the goal for at least myself and some of the other guys now is just to bring that as many places as you can and get as many people as you can interested in it and, and doing it safely. Sure. Um, I started working on uh, essentially getting all the different dive flows on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, PDF, everything's 3D modeled. So we have 3D models of the canopies and wingsuits if they're involved and uh, entire dive flows written out, um, done up kind of like a sign-up sheet and then um, making that open source. So other organizers similar to four-way organizers have this playbook that they can go from and kind of standardize everything. You know, well, this is these are different formations that we're doing. This is mm. how we're doing them. Here's the different drills that you can run. Um, kind of taking this playbook and uh, just making it open source so that anybody that wants it can have access to the knowledge that they need to be able to continue to build their skills so we can do some of the, the more advanced stuff. So, Which is fantastic. Now, is there any type of uh, mentoring program or are there um, – loosely organized courses that people that are interested can go through to do this stuff? I've, I've done a handful of them. Um, I know Ian Drennan, uh, used to be able to go to hop and flock as a new flocker and kind of sit in through the safety briefing and he would bring people up to speed. Um, but like I said, that's kind of moved on to more of a, an invite only, not necessarily an intro. Mm. Uh, basically, uh, how did he put it? Um, if you vouch for somebody and they suck, uh, you're losing your vouch. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like he's the mob. <laughs> yeah. He's basically like if, if you're going to bring somebody, you need to have worked with them, um, you know, gotten them up to speed, make sure that they're safe, uh, make sure that they can fly relative, um, you know, work with these people at your home drop zone. Hmm. 
because when you get that many people together and you've got six people or five or six people that um, can't necessarily get in on a formation, um, you're kind of you, you're bringing down the average at that point. It really limits what you can do sure. at a, a once a year, two day event. You know what I mean? For sure. So, so it's so and, it's really promoting teaching and bringing the skills back to your drop zone and. Uh, now, so for at least for right now, it's it's kind of a, a mentor those that you think should come into it. Is there any way for say say it's me and I'm a uh, I've never done anything like that? Uh, is there a specific you know place or a group of people that I would go to, or it's literally just find someone that's doing this kind of stuff and see if they'll take me under their wing? It's a little bit of both. I mean, um, any anybody at all that wants to reach out to me and and look for advice or, um, wants help finding somebody is always more than welcome to do so. Um, like I said, the, the playbook that I'm trying to write is, is definitely going to be open source and available for anybody. Awesome. Um, looking at doing, uh, kind of getting a first flock course, almost a syllabus put together that, mm-hmm. uh, has all the different, uh, the safety stuff and, um, some of the different, flight modes and controls that you should be using and stuff like that. A lot of the instructional stuff, looking to get all that on paper so that it is a little bit easier to get out there. Mm. Um, but otherwise, like I said, you can hit up, uh, um, any of the, any of the canopy coaches, um, the, the flight one guys are probably going to know who to get a hold of for this. Sure. Um, CSC, like I said, Fridays, uh, Mike clash is out there and that group of guys, they'll, they'll work with anybody. Um, they're, they're all about just sharing the knowledge. Um, you know, these, these events and these Fridays they're they don't cost anybody anything other than your jump tickets. So nobody's making money off of this. Mm. Um, you know, that's, that's not what I, I think anybody's trying to do. Sure. Um, Cleveland at this shred fest, you know, I uh, had to do, uh, there was an intro to flocking, um, albeit a relatively quick one. Um, all of the kind of stuff that you would go through in an intro to flocking course was, was discussed with a couple of guys and we brought a couple of guys in at Cleveland last weekend. Cool. Uh, going to be running a couple more events down there. Uh, there's been a couple other drop zones around the country that reached out to me to kind of put something together at their drop zones as well. Um, I don't know, looking at kind of bringing this to as many people as cheaply as we possibly can. Sure. Uh, it was kind of, that was, that was one of Drennan and Laz both their uh, key points was give the knowledge away. Just just get it out there. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I, I looking forward, I envision almost um, a Flight One spinoff for, you know, obviously advanced canopy piloting when it comes to stuff like this. So here you go. You've gotten through your Flight One course and you're uh, getting good at flying this canopy and that canopy. And now you've decided you want to go to flocking. So these are the guys you talk to. And it sounds like you're basically building a syllabus for a perfect all around uh, course and example of exactly what you should be working towards and doing, which is fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, it's, I don't know. It, it just seems like the right, it just seems like the next logical step. Well, at the end so, of the day, we just want more people to play with, right? 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, it's right now. There's just not a lot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. And I mean, uh, it sounds to me like you, you and the rest of the guys are going about it in a very safe way. Um, obviously it's not just the, you know, one person at risk. It's a whole lot of people at risk when you're doing this kind of stuff. So being super safe and methodical about it is how you want to do it and getting that information out there again. So you can build up the community and have more people to do more with, which is awesome. Now, yeah. How uh, how will people track you down? How can they find you? Do you have a, a Facebook page, Instagram, all that stuff? Uh, yep, Facebook, Mitch Steer, M-I-T-C-H-S-T-E-E-R-E. And uh, Instagram, Canopy Junkie. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. All right, so Mitch Steer on Facebook and Canopy Junkie on Instagram to get a hold of you if they've got interest in the flocking stuff, obviously in canopy progression and stuff like this, XRW, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and you said uh, one of the big drop zones on Fridays is CSC, which is one of my old stomping grounds, which is really cool to hear. And that's every Friday? Every Friday they do uh, flocking Fridays, and they've got a Facebook group up, uh, DTF, Down to Flock. Um, awesome if if you get a hold of uh either myself or like i said mike clash um kind of spearheads a lot of that one he's there every weekend awesome Uh, awesome definitely definitely get more people involved in that would be great yeah, no, no, no doubt. And that's uh, that's one of the reasons that I know Cola wanted to, to put us together and get uh, some information out there and kind of get the word out about the stuff like this that's going on. Because all I ever see are the videos and the images, but I have yet to talk to anybody that does it a whole bunch. And it sounds sketchy to me, but cool as fucking hell. <laughs> we, we try to make it as least sketchy as possible. <laughs> which is, which is it, awesome. There's a... There's always some level of sketch there, I think. Of course, of course. But it's not, uh, um, you know, sliding down someone's grass towards trees on a motorcycle sketchy. Not quite there. Which is good, (laughs) which is good. Well, Mitch, I can't, I'll tell you what, I know I got you on your lunch break and I can't thank you enough for taking the time to sit down and talk to me. I really appreciate it. All right, thanks, Dan. It was good talking to you too. All right, take care. Take care. And there you go. Another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void in the Can. As always, brought to you by, come on, say it with me, the greatest magazine in the known universe. That's right, Blue Skies Mag. Head to blueskiesmag.com to subscribe to the magazine, to check out all the cool swag, to submit your photos, your article ideas, or to get some advertising done. Also, head over to pussfoot.com. I told you it's a collective of all kinds of extreme sports, really, really cool shit, ideas, tips, everything you can possibly think of. So go check it out, pussfoot.com. As for me, as always, thefuckingpilot.net is where you'll go to get all of these podcasts as well as both of the books, uh, the uh, fucking pilot book and the accidental stripper uh, in print and digital. Have a great night.